Section 1, Part 6 I stayed in Baghdad for a time. Then, receiving a message ordering me to return to London, I left. In London, I spoke with the secretary and some officials of the ministry. I told them of my activities and observations during my long mission. They rejoiced greatly at the information I gave about Iraq and said that they were pleased. On the other hand, Safiya, the girlfriend of Mohammed of Najd, sent a report agreeing with mine. I found out also that throughout my mission I had been followed by men from the ministry. These men also sent reports concurrent with the reports I had sent and with the account I had given to the secretary. The secretary made an appointment for me to meet the minister. When I visited the minister, he met me in a manner that he had not shown towards me upon my arrival from Istanbul. I knew that I occupied an exceptional place in his heart now. The minister was very pleased to know that I had obtained Mohammed of Najd. He is a weapon our ministry has been looking for. Give him all sorts of promises. It would be worthwhile if you spent all your time indoctrinating him, he said. When I said, I have been anxious about Mohammed of Najd. He may have changed his mind. He replied, Don't worry. He has not given up the ideas he had when you left him. The spies of our ministry met him in Isfahan and reported to our ministry that he had not changed. I said to myself, How could Mohammed of Najd reveal his secrets to a stranger? I did not dare to ask this question to the minister. However, when I met Mohammed of Najd later, I found out that in Isfahan, a man named Abdul Kerim had met him and ferreted out his secrets by saying, I am Sheikh Mohammed's, meaning me, brother. He told me all that he knew about you. Mohammed of Najd said to me, Safiya went with me to Isfahan and we cohabited with Mut'an-Nihka for two more months. Abdul Karim accompanied me to Shiraz and found me a woman named Asiya, who was prettier and more attractive than Safiya. Making Mutanika with that woman, I spent the most delightful moments of my life with her. I found out later that Abdul Karim was a Christian agent living in the Delpha district of Isfahan and working for the ministry. And Asiya, a Jewess living in Shiraz, was another agent for the ministry. All four of us coordinated to train Muhammad of Najd in such a way that in the future he would do what was expected from him in the best way. When I related the events in the presence of the minister, the secretary and two other members of the ministry whom I did not know, the minister said to me, You have deserved to receive the greatest award of the ministry, for you are the best one among the most significant agents of the ministry. The secretary will tell you some state secrets, which will help you in your mission. Then they gave me a ten-day leave during which I could see my family. So I went home right away and spent some of my sweetest moments with my son, who resembled me very much. My son spoke a few words and walked so nicely that I felt as if he were a piece from my own body. I spent this ten-day leave so cheerfully, so happily. I felt as if I was going to fly from joy. It was such a great pleasure to be back home, to be with my family. During this ten-day leave, I visited my old paternal aunt, who loved me very much. 
It was wise of me to visit her, for she passed away after my departure for my third mission. I felt so sad about her passing. This ten-day leave elapsed as fast as an hour. Whereas cheerful days such as these go by as quickly as an hour, days of grief seem to take centuries. I remembered the days when I had suffered that illness in Najaf. Those days of affliction had seemed like years to me. When I went to the ministry to receive new orders, I met the secretary with his cheerful face and tall stature. He shook my hand so warmly that his affection was perceptible. He said to me, With the command of our minister and the committee in charge of colonies, I shall tell you two state secrets. Later you will benefit very much from these two secrets. No one except a couple of confidential people know these two secrets. Holding my hand, he took me to a room in the ministry. I met with something very attractive in this room. Ten men were sitting around a round table. The first man was in the guise of the Ottoman Emperor. He spoke Turkish and English. The second one was dressed in the attire of the Sheikh ul-Uslam, chief of Islamic matters in Istanbul. The third one was dressed in attire identical with that of the Shah of Iran. The fourth one was in the attire of the vizier in the Iranian palace. The fifth one was dressed like the great scholar leading the Shiites in Najaf. The last three of these people spoke Persian and English. Each of these five people had a clerk sitting beside him to write down whatever they would say. These clerks were imparting to the five men the information collected by spies about their archetypes in Istanbul, Iran and Najaf. The secretary said, These five people represent the five people there. In order to know what their archetypes think, we have educated and trained these people exactly like their archetypes. We intimate the information we have obtained about their originals in Istanbul, Tehran and Najaf to these men. And these men, in their turn, imagine themselves to be their originals in those places. Then we ask them and they answer us. We have determined that the answers given by these people are 70% agreeable with the answers that their originals would give. If you like, you may ask questions for assessment. You have already met the scholar of Najaf. I replied in the affirmative, for I had met the great Shiite scholar in Najaf and asked him about some matters. Now I approached his copy and said, Dear teacher, would it be permissible for us to wage war against the government because it is Sunni and fanatical? He reflected for a while and said, No, it is not permissible for us to wage war against the government because it is Sunni, for all Muslims are brothers. We could declare war on them, Sunni Muslims, only if they perpetrated cruelty and persecution on the Umar, Muslims. And even in this case, we would observe the principles of Amr bin Mahruf. Footnote. Teaching, preaching and commending the Islamic commandments. And Nahi Anil Munkar. Footnote. Admonishing, warning against the Islamic prohibitions. We would stop interfering with them as soon as they stopped their persecution. I said... 
Dear teacher, may I have your opinion concerning the matter that Jews and Christians are foul? Yes, they are foul, he said. It is necessary to keep away from them. When I asked the reason why, he replied, It is done so in retaliation for an insult. But they look on us as disbelievers and deny our Prophet Muhammad, alayhi salam. We therefore retaliate for this. I said to him, Dear teacher, isn't cleanliness an issue of Iman? Despite this fact, the avenues and streets around the Shan-i-Sherif, the area surrounding Hazrat Ali's shrine, are not clean. Even the madrasas, which are the places of knowledge, cannot be said to be clean. He replied, Yes, it is true, cleanliness is from Iman, yet it cannot be helped because the Shiites are negligent about cleanliness. The answers given by this man in the ministry were precisely concurrent with the answers I had received from the Shiite scholar in Najaf. Such accurate identity between this man and the scholar in Najaf amazed me utterly. In addition, this man spoke Persian. The secretary said, If you had met the archetypes of the other four personages, you would talk to their imitations now and see how identical they are with their originals. When I said, I know how the Sheikh Islam thinks, for Ahmed Effendi, my teacher in Istanbul, gave a detailed description of the Sheikh Islam to me. The secretary said, Then you shall go ahead and talk with his model. I went near the Sheikh Islam's model and said to him, Is it fard, commandment in Islam, to obey the Caliph? Yes, it is wajib, necessary, obligatory in Islam, he replied. It is wajib and it is fard to obey Allah and the Prophet. When I asked what evidence he had to prove this, he answered, Didn't you hear about Janab al-Allah's ayat? Obey Allah, his Prophet, and the Ulul Amr, those charged with authority from among you. Surah Nisa, Ayat 59 I said, Does this mean that Allah commands us to obey such caliphs as Yazid, who permitted his army to plunder Medina, and who killed our Prophet's grandson, Hussein, and Caliph Walid, who drank alcoholic spirits. His answer was this. My son, Yazid was the Amr al-Munimin with Allah's permission. He did not command the killing of Hussein. Do not believe in the Shiite lies. Read the books as well. He made a mistake. Then he made Tauba for this. He repented and begged for Allah's forgiveness and mercy. He was right about his ordering Medina Munawara, radiant city of Medina, plundered. But the inhabitants of Medina had become quite unbridled and disobedient. As for Walid, yes, he was a sinner. It is not wajib to imitate the caliph, but to obey his commandments compatible with the shariat. I had asked these same questions to my teacher Ahmed Effendi and received identical answers with slight differences. Then I asked the secretary, What are the ultimate reasons for preparing these models? He said, With this method we are assessing the mental capacities of the Ottoman Sultan and the Muslim scholars, be they Shi or Sunni. We are searching for the measures that will help us cope with them. For instance, If you know what direction the enemy forces will come from, you will make preparations accordingly, post your forces at suitable positions and thus rout the enemy. On the other hand, 
If you aren't sure about the direction of the enemy assaults, you will spread your forces here and there in a haphazard way and suffer a defeat. By the same token, if you know the evidence his Muslims will furnish to prove that their faith, their madhab is right, it will be possible for you to prepare the counter-evidences to rebut their evidences and undermine their beliefs with those counter-evidences. Then he gave me a book of 1,000 pages containing the results of the observations and projects carried out by the four named five representative men in areas such as military, finance, education and religion. He said, Please read this book and return it to us. I took the book home with me. I read through it with utmost attention during my three-week holiday. The book was of a wonderful sort, for the important answers and the delicate observations it contained sounded genuine. I think that the answers given by the representative five men were more than 70% agreeable with the answers that their archetypes would have given. Indeed, the secretary had said that the answers were 70% correct. Having read the book, I now had more confidence in my state, and I knew for certain that the plans for demolishing the Ottoman Empire in times shorter than a century had already been prepared. The secretary also said, In other similar rooms we have identical tables intended for countries we have been colonising, as well as for those we are planning to colonise. When I asked the secretary where they found such diligent and talented men, he replied, Our agents all over the world are providing us intelligence continuously. As you see, these representatives are experts in their work. Naturally, if you were furnished with all the information possessed by a particular person, you would be able to think like him and to make the decisions that he would make. For you would be his substitute now. The secretary went on. So, this is the first secret I was ordered by the ministry to give you. I shall tell you the second secret a month later when you return the book of 1,000 pages. I read the book part by part from the beginning to the end, focusing all my attention on it. It increased my information about the Mohammedans. Now I knew how they thought, what their weaknesses were, what made them powerful, how to transform their powerful qualities into vulnerable weak spots. Muslims' weak spots, as recorded in the book, were as follows. 1. The Sunni-Shiite Controversy The Sovereign People Controversy Footnote This assertion is entirely wrong. It contradicts his former statement that it is fard to obey the Padishah, Master of Emperors. The Turkish-Iranian Controversy The Tribal Controversy And the Scholars' States Controversy Footnote. This is sheer culmination. The written will of Osman Uthman Ghazi, the first Ottoman Padishah, is a detailed example of the value and honour the Ottoman administration set on the scholars. All the Padishahs granted the highest positions to the scholars. When the jealous adversaries of Marlana Khalid di Baghdadi slanderously denounced him to Mahmud Khan II and demanded that he be executed, the Sultan gave this widely known answer. Scholars would by no means be harmful to the state. The Ottoman Sultans granted a house, provisions and a high salary to every scholar. 2. 
With very few exceptions, Muslims are ignorant and illiterate. Footnote. The books on religion, ethics, iman and science written by thousands of Ottoman scholars are known universally. Peasants, who are supposed to be the most illiterate sort of people, were very well informed of their faith, worships and craft. There were mosques, schools and madrasas in all villages. Villagers were taught how to read and write, religious and worldly knowledge in these places. Women in villages knew how to read Quran al-Karim. Most scholars and awliya were brought up and educated in villages. 3. Lack of spirituality, knowledge and conscience Footnote The Ottoman Muslims were very firm spiritually. The people would run for jihad in order to attain martyrdom. After each of the five daily prayers of Salat, as well as during every Friday, Qutbah, discourse given by the Imam on Friday regarding Islamic doctrine, the religious men would pronounce benedictions over the Caliph and the state, and the whole Jamaa would say, Amin. Christian villagers, on the other hand, are mostly illiterate, totally unaware of their faith and worldly knowledge, and therefore take the priest's sermons for granted and adhere to the lies and superstitions they have fabricated in the name of religion. They are like senseless flocks of animals. 4. They have completely ceased from worldly business and are absorbed in matters pertaining to the hereafter. Footnote. Unlike Christianity, Islam does not separate the religion from the world. It is an act of worship to busy oneself with worldly matters. Our Prophet stated, Work for the world as though you would never die, and work for the hereafter as if you were going to die tomorrow. 5. The Emperors are Cruel Dictators The Emperors brought pressure to bear on the people for the execution of the principles of the Shariat. They did not perpetrate oppression like the European kings. 6. The roads are unsafe, transportation and travels are sporadic. The roads were so safe that a Muslim who set out from Bosnia would travel as far as Mecca comfortably and free of charge, staying, eating and drinking in the villages on the way, and the villagers would most of the time give gifts. 7. No precaution is taken against epidemics such as plague and cholera which kill tens of thousands of people each year. Hygiene is altogether ignored. Footnote there were hospitals and asylums everywhere. Even Napoleon was cured by the Ottomans. All Muslims adapt themselves to the Hadith Sharif. He who has Imam will be clean. 8. The cities are in ruins and there is no system of supplying water. Footnote. These slanders are not even worth answering. Buruz Shah, the Sultan of Delhi, passed away in 1388-790. The orchards and gardens irrigated by the wide and 240-kilometre-long canal constructed with his command relapsed into a wasteland during the British invasion. The remains of the Ottoman architecture are still dazzling the eyes of tourists. 9. 
The administration is unable to cope with rebels and insurgents. There is a general disorderliness. Rules of the Quran, of which they are so proud, are almost never put into practice. Footnote They must be confusing the Ottomans with those French generals who were awarded for pouring their king's excrement into the river Seine. 10. Economical Collapse, Poverty and Retrogression 11. There is not an orderly army, nor adequate weaponry, and the weapons in stock are classical and falling apart. Are they unaware of the systematic army established by Orhangazi, who ascended to the Ottoman throne in 1326-726? Yildirim Bayezid Khan's remarkable army, which routed the great army of crusaders in Nikbulu in 1399-799. 12. Violation of Women's Rights Footnote. At a time when the British were totally oblivious to arts, weaponry and women's rights, the Ottomans formulated these concepts in the most exquisite way. Would they have the face to deny the fact that the Swedish and the French kings asked for help from the Ottomans? 13. Lack of Environmental Health and Cleanliness Footnote. The streets were extremely clean. In fact, there were health services allotted to cleaning the spittle in the streets. After citing what was considered as Muslims' vulnerable spots in the paragraphs paraphrased above, the book advised to cause Muslims to remain oblivious to the material and spiritual superiority of their faith, Islam. Then it gave the following information about Islam. 1. Islam commands unity and cooperation and prohibits disunion. It is stated in the Quran, hold fast to Allah's robe altogether. Surah Ali Imran, Ayat 103. 2. Islam commands being educated and being conscious. It is stated in the Quran, travel on the earth. Surah Ali Imran, Ayat 137. 3. Islam commands acquiring knowledge. It is stated in a hadith, Learning knowledge is fard for every Muslim, male and female alike. 4. Islam commands working for the world. It is stated in the Quran, Some of them, O our Allah, allot to us whatever is beautiful both in the world and in the hereafter. Surah Baqarah, Ayat 201. 5. Islam commands consultation. It is stated in the Quran, Their deeds are done upon consultation among themselves. Surah Shura, Ayat 38. 6. Islam commands to build roads. It is stated in the Quran, Walk on the earth. Surah Mulk, Ayat 15. 7. Islam commands Muslims to maintain their health. It is stated in a hadith, knowledge is made up of four parts. 1. The knowledge of fiqh for the maintenance of faith. 2. The knowledge of medicine for the maintenance of health. 3. The knowledge of saf and nawa, Arabic grammar, for the maintenance of language. 4. 
the knowledge of astronomy so as to be aware of the times. 8. Islam commands development. It is stated in the Quran, Allah created everything on the earth for you. Surah Baqarah, Ayat 29. 9. Islam commands orderliness. It is stated in the Quran, Everything is based on calculations, orders. Surah Hujr, Ayat 19. 10. Islam commands being strong economically. It is stated in a hadith, Work for your world as though you would never die, and work for your hereafter as if you were going to die tomorrow. 11. Islam commands establishing an army equipped with powerful weapons. It is stated in the Quran, Prepare as many forces as you can against them. Surah Enfal, Ayat 60. 12. Islam commands observing women's rights and to value them. It is stated in the Quran, As men legally have rights over women, so women have rights over them. Surah Baqarah, Ayat 228. 13. Islam commands cleanliness. It is stated in a hadith, Cleanliness is from Iman. The book recommended degenerating and impairing the following power sources. 1. Islam has negated racial, lingual, traditional, conventional and national bigotry. 2. Interest, profiteering, fornication, alcoholic spirits and pork are forbidden. 3. Muslims are firmly adherent to the ulama, religious scholars. 4. Most of the Sunni Muslims accept the Caliph as the Prophet's representative. They believe it is fard to show him the same respect as must be shown to Allah and the Prophet. 5. Jihad is fard. 6. According to the Shi Muslims, all non-Muslims and Sunni Muslims are foul people. 7. All Muslims believe that Islam is the only true religion. 8. Most Muslims believe that it is fard to expel the Jews and Christians from the Arab Peninsula. 9. They perform their worships, such as Salat, Fast, Hajj, in the most beautiful way. 10. The Shi Muslims believe that it is haram, forbidden, to build churches in Muslim countries. 11. Muslims hold fast to the principles of the Islamic belief. 12. The Shi Muslims consider it fard to give one-fifth of the hummus, that is, booties taken in holy war, to the ulama. 13. Muslims raise their children with such education that they are not likely to abandon the way followed by their ancestors. 14. Muslim women cover themselves so well that mischief can by no means act on them. 15. Muslims make salat in jamaa, which brings them together five times daily. 16. Because the Prophet's grave and those of Ali and other pious Muslims are sacred according to them, they assemble at these places. 17. There are a number of people descending from the Prophet, who are called Sayyids and Sheriffs. 
These people remind of the Prophet and he always remains alive in the eyes of Muslims. 18. When Muslims assemble, preachers consolidate their Iman and motivate them to do pious acts. 19. It is fard to perform Amr bin Maruf, advising piety, and Nahi al Munkar, admonishing against wrongdoing. 20. It is Sunnah to marry more than one woman in order to contribute to the increase of Muslim population. 21. Converting one person to Islam is more valuable to a Muslim than possessing the whole world. 22. The Hadith If a person opens an auspicious way, he will attain the thawabs of people who follow that way as well as the thawab for having attained it. It's well known among Muslims. 23. Muslims hold the Quran and Hadiths in very profound reverence. They believe that obeying these sources is the only way of attaining paradise. The book recommended to vitiate Muslims' staunch spots and to popularize their weaknesses, and it prescribed the methods for accomplishing this. It advised the following steps for popularizing their vulnerable spots. 1. Establish controversies by inducing animosity among disputing groups, inoculating mistrust and by publishing literature to further incite controversies. 2. Obstruct schooling and publications and burn literature whenever possible. Make sure that Muslim children remain ignorant by casting various aspersions on religious authorities and thus preventing Muslim parents from sending their children to religious schools. This British method has been very harmful to Islam. 3. 4. Praise paradise in their presence and convince them that they need not work for a worldly life. Enlarge the circles of tasawwuf, purifying the heart, spiritual development. Keep them in an unconscious state by encouraging them to read books advising zud. Turning away from worldly things such as Ikha ul-ulum iddin by Ghazali, Mesnevi, by Maulana, and various books written by Muyiddin Arabi. Footnote Zud, which is commended by books of Tasawwuf, does not mean to cease from worldly labor. It means not to be fond of the world. In other words, working for the world, earning worldly needs, and using them compatibly with the Aham Islamia will provide as much thawab as other acts of worship will. 5. Persuade the caliphs into cruelty and dictatorship by the following demagogic falsifications. You are Allah's shadows on the earth. In fact, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Umayyads and Abbasids came to seize power by sheer force and the sword, and each of them was a sovereign. For example, Abu Bakr assumed power with the help of Umar's sword and by setting fire to the houses of those who would not obey him, such as Fatima's house. Footnote There are indications in Hadith Sharifs that Hazrat Abu Bakr, Hazrat Umar, Hazrat Uthman and Hazrat Ali, Radi Allahu Ta'ala Anhum, would become caliphs yet there is not a clear statement concerning their times. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
left this matter to his Sahaba's choice. The Sahaba had three different kinds of ijtihad in electing the caliph. Caliphate was not a property to be inherited by one's relatives. Hazrat Abu Bakr, who had been the first person to become a Muslim, who had caused others to become believers, behind whom our Prophet had performed Salat by telling him to be the Imam and conduct the Salat, and with whom the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, had migrated to Medina, was the most suitable candidate. Some of the Sahaba went to Hazrat Ali's place. One of them, namely Abu Sufyan, said, Hold out your hand. I shall pay homage to you if you like. I shall fill all the place with cavalrymen and infantrymen. Hazrat Ali refused this, answering, Are you trying to break the Muslims into groups? My staying home is not intended for being elected caliph. Bereavement from Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam has shocked me. I feel demented. He went to the mosque. He paid homage to Hazrat Abu Bakr in the presence of all the others. Upon this, Hazrat Abu Bakr said, I don't want to be caliph. I accept it reluctantly to prevent confusion. Hazrat Ali replied, You are more worthy of being caliph. The statements of praise Hazrat Ali made of Hazrat Abu Bakr that day were quoted in our Turkish book, Deadeti Ebedie. Hazrat Umar accompanied Hazrat Ali to his house. Hazrat Ali would say, After Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar are the highest of this Umar, Muslims. People who believe the Shiite lies and slanders are responsible for the wretched state Muslims are in today. British are still pushing on this instigation. And Umar became caliph upon Abu Bakr's recommendation. Uthman, on the other hand, became caliph with Umar's order. As for Ali, he became head of the state by an election held among bandits. Muawiyah assumed power by the sword. Hazrat Muawiyah became caliph upon Hazrat Hassan's paying homage to him. Please read the book, Documents of the Right Word. Then, in the time of the Umayyads, sovereignty was turned into an inheritance transferred through paternal chain. So was the case with the Abbasids. These are the evidences for the fact that in Islam, sovereignty is a former dictatorship. 6. Delete death penalty for homicide from the penal code. Death punishment is the only deterrent to homicide and banditry. Anarchy and banditry cannot be prevented without the death penalty. Hinder the administration in punishing highwaymen and robbers. Make sure that travelling is unsafe by supporting and arming them. 7. We can make them lead an unhealthy life with the following scheme. Everything is dependent on Allah's foreordination. Medical treatment will have no role in restoring health. Does not Allah say in the Quran, My Rab, Allah, makes me eat and drink. He cures me when I am ill. He alone will kill me and then resurrect me. Surah Shura, Ayat 79, 80, 81 Then no one will recover from an illness or escape death outside Allah's will. Footnote British agents distort the meanings of Ayat Karima and Hadith Sharifs in order to mislead Muslims. It is Sunnah, 
Something done, advice recommended, liked by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, to have medical treatment. Allahu Taala has created a curing effect in medicine. Our Prophet commanded to take medicine. Allahu Taala, the Creator of everything, is the healer. Yet He has created a law of causation and commands us to obey this law by holding on to the causes. We must work hard, discover the causes, and use them. To say He cures me means to say He gives me the means that will cause healing. It is a commandment of Islam to do research to discover the causes. Our Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam stated, "It is fard both for men and for women to study and acquire knowledge." At another time, he stated. Allahu Taala likes those who work and earn. Eight. Make the following statements for encouraging cruelty. Islam is a religion of worship. It has no interest in state matters. Therefore, Muhammad and his caliphs did not have any ministers or laws. Footnote. Worship does not only consist of salat, fast, and hajj. It is also worshipped to do worldly business because Allah Taala commands it, but in a manner compatible with the Aham Islamia. It is very thawab, deserving reward in the hereafter to work for useful things. Nine, economic decline is a natural consequence of the injurious activities advised so far. We can add to the atrophy by rotting the crops, sinking the trade ships, setting fire to the marketplaces. Destroying dams and barrages, and thus leaving agricultural areas and industrial centers under water, and finally by contaminating their networks of drinking water. Footnote: See the savagery, the cruelty perpetrated by the British, who call themselves civilized, and repeat the phrase "human rights" so often. Ten. A custom statesman to such indulgences as sex, sports, alcohol, gambling, corruption, which cause sedition and intrigue, and spending the state property for their personal advantages, encourage the civil servants to do things of this sort and reward those who serve us in this way. Then the book added the following advice: the British spies assigned this duty must be protected secretly or openly. And no expense must be spared to rescue the ones arrested by Muslims. Eleven. Popularize all sorts of interest. For interest not only ruins national economy but also accustoms Muslims to disobeying the rules of the Quran. Once a person has violated one article of law, it will be very easy for him to violate the other articles too. They must be told that interest is haram when in multiples, for it is stated in the Quran, "Do not receive interest in multiples." Surah Ali Imran, Ayat 130. Therefore, not every form of interest is haram. Payoff time of a loan must not be appointed in advance. Any extra payment agreed on at the time of lending is interest. This type of interest is a grave sin. Even if the extra payment stipulated is worth only a dirham, if it is stipulated that the same amount borrowed must be repaid after a certain time, this is interest according to the Hanafi Madhab.
in sales on credit, time of repayment must be appointed. Yet, if the debtor cannot pay off at the appointed time and the time is protracted and an extra payment is stipulated, this kind of interest is called muda'af. The Ayat Akarima quoted above states this type of interest in trade. 12. Spread false charges of atrocity against scholars, cast sordid aspersions against them and thus alienate Muslims from them. We shall disguise some of our spies as them. Then we shall have them commit squalid deeds. Thus they will be confused with scholars and every scholar will be looked upon with suspicion. It is a must to infiltrate these spies into Al-Azhar, Istanbul, Najaf and Kerbala. We shall open schools, colleges for estranging Muslims from scholars. In these schools we shall educate Byzantine, Greek and Armenian children and bring them up as the enemies of Muslims. As for Muslim children, we shall imbue them with the conviction that their ancestors were ignorant people. In order to make these children hostile towards caliphs, scholars and statesmen, we shall tell them about their errors and convince them that they were busy with their sensuous pleasures, that caliphs spent their time having fun with concubines, that they misused the people's property, that they did not obey the Prophet in anything they did. 13. In order to spread the calumnation that Islam abhors womankind, we shall quote the ayat, Men are dominant over women. Surah Nisa, ayat 34, and the hadith, The woman is an evil altogether. Footnote It is stated in a hadith sharif, A woman wife who obeys the Akham Islamiyah is one of the blessings of paradise. A woman who follows her sensual desires and disobeys the Akham Islamiyah is evil. A poor single woman's father has to subsist her, be her unmarried or widowed. If he does not, he is to be imprisoned. If she does not have a father, or if her father is too poor to subsist her, her mahram, person whom one is never permitted to marry because of close blood relation, relatives, will have to care for her. In case she does not have such relatives either, the government will have to allot a salary for her. A Muslim woman will never have to work for a living. The Islamic religion has burdened man with all the needs of his woman. In return for this heavy burden, man might as well have been made the only inheritor of his progenitors. Yet, as another kindness towards womankind, Allah Ta'ala has commanded that they should be given half the property inherited by their brothers. A husband cannot force his wife to work within or without the house. If a woman wants to work, she can do so with her husband's permission, with the proviso that she should be covered and there should not be men at the place where she works. In this case, her earnings will belong to her. No one can force a woman to relinquish earnings of this sort or property she has inherited of the mehib, mandatory payment, in the form of money or possessions paid or promised to be paid at the time of marriage. Nor can she be forced to spend it for her or her children's needs or for anything needed in the house. It is fard for the husband to provide all such needs. In today's communist regimes, Women, as well as men, are made to work in the heaviest jobs for food only, like animals.
in Christian countries said to be free world countries, and in some Arabic countries said to be Muslim countries, women work like men in factories, in fields, in trade businesses, under the sophistry that life is common. As it frequently appears in daily newspapers, most of them regret having married, so that law courts teem with files of divorce suits. Utterances spoken by the blessed mouth of the Messenger of Allah are of three kinds. The first kind comprises utterances which come from Allahu Ta'ala, both in tenor and in vehicle. These utterances are called Ayat Karima, which make up the Quran al-Karim collectively. The utterance, every good and useful thing coming to you is willed and sent by Allahu Ta'ala, every evil and harmful thing is wished by your nafs. Malignant force in man that is inimious to Allahu Ta'ala. All these things are created and sent by Allahu Ta'ala, is the 78th ayat of Surah Nisa. The second kind includes utterances whose words belong to our Prophet, while their meanings are inspired by Allahu Ta'ala. These utterances are called Hadith Qudsi. The utterance be inimical towards your nafs, for it is my enemy is a hadith kudsi. In the third kind are those utterances belonging to our Prophet, both in wording and in meaning. They are called hadith sharif. The utterance, a woman who obeys the akham islamia is one of the blessings of paradise, a woman who follows her nafs is evil, is a hadith sharif. Hazrat, expression of honour and respect, Muhyiddin Arabi explains this Hadith Sharif in the first volume of his book, Musamarat. The British spy withholds the first half of the Hadith and reveals only the latter half. If women all over the world knew about the value, the comfort and peace, the freedom and the right to divorce Islam has conferred on them, they would immediately become Muslims and endeavour to disseminate Islam all over the world. It is a shame that they cannot realize these facts. May Allah Ta'ala bless all humanity with the fortune of learning Islam's luminous way correctly. 14. Dirtiness is the result of lack of water. Therefore, we must deter the increasing of the water supplies under various schemes. The book advised the following steps for destroying Muslim strongholds. 1. Induce such chauvinistic devotions as racism and nationalism among Muslims so as to retract their attention towards their pre-Islamic heroisms. Rejuvenate the Pharaoh period in Egypt, the Magi period in Iran, the Babylonian period in Iraq, the Attila and Genghis era, tyranny in the Ottomans. They contained a long list on this subject. 2. The following vices must be done secretly or publicly. Alcoholic spirits, gambling, fornication, pork and fights among sports clubs. In doing this, Christians, Jews, Magians and other non-Muslims living in Muslim countries should be utilised to a maximum. And those who work for this purpose should be awarded high salaries by the Treasury Department of the Ministry of the Commonwealth. 3. So suspicion among them concerning jihad, convince them that jihad was a temporary commandment and that it has been outdated. 4. Dispel the notion that disbelievers are foul from the hearts of Shiites. 
quote the verse of the Quran, As the food of those given a heavenly book is halal for you, so is your food halal for them. Surah Maida, Ayat 5 And tell them that the Prophet had a Jewish wife named Safiya and a Christian wife named Maria, and that the Prophet's wives were not foul at all. Footnote Hazraf Safiya, whom the British called a Jew, had already become a Muslim when she married our Prophet, Alayhi Salam. As for Maria, an Egyptian, she was not one of the blessed wives of the Messenger of Allah, Alayhi Salam. She was a Jariya, girl, slave, concubine. She too was a Muslim. When she passed away, Hazrat Umar, Redi Allahu Tala Ankh, who was the caliph at that time, conducted the ritual prayer performed when a Muslim dies. According to the belief of the Ahl as Sunnah, a Christian woman can be a Jariya as well as a wife for a Muslim man. Contrary to the Shiite credo in this respect, disbelievers are not foul themselves. What is foul in them is the belief they hold. 5. Imbue Muslims with the belief that what the Prophet meant by Islam was a perfect religion, and therefore this religion could be Judaism or Christianity as well as Islam. Substantiate this with the following reasoning. The Quran gives the name Muslim to members of all religions. For instance, it quotes the Prophet Joseph, Yusuf alayhi salam, as having invoked, Kill me as a Muslim. Footnote Belief in the information a prophet has brought from Allahu Ta'ala is called Iman. The information to be believed is of two sorts. 1. Information to be believed only. 2. Information both to be believed and to be practiced. The first sort of information, which is the basis of Iman, comprises six tenets. All prophets taught the same basic principles of Iman. Today, all the Jews, Christians, scientists, statesmen, commanders all over the world, and all these so-called modernists believe in the hereafter, that is, in resurrection after death. Those who call themselves modern people have to believe like these people. On the other hand, Prophet Akham Islamiyah, that is, the commandments and prohibitions in their religions, are not the same. Having Iman and adapting oneself to the Akham Islamiyah is called Islam. Since each prophet has a different Akham Islamiyah, the Islam of each prophet is different from that of another. Each messenger of Allah brought a new Islam, abrogating the Islam of the prophet prior to him. The Islam brought by the last prophet Muhammad, alayhi salam, shall remain valid till the end of the world. In the 19th and 85th ayats of Surah Ali Imran, Allahu Ta'ala commands Jews and Christians to give up their former Islams. He declares that those who do not adapt themselves to Muhammad, alayhi salam, shall not enter paradise, that they shall suffer eternal burning in hell. Each of the forenamed prophets, that is, Ibrahim, Ismail, Yaqub, and Yusuf, supplicated for the Islam that was valid in his time. Those Islams, going to church for instance, are not valid today. And the prophets Ibrahim and Ismail as having prayed, O our Rab, Allah, make us Muslims for yourself and make a Muslim people for yourself from among our offspring. 
Surah Bakara, Ayat 128. And the Prophet Yaqub is having said to his sons, Die only, and only as Muslims. Surah Bakara, Ayat 132. 6. Repeat frequently that it is not haram to build churches, for the Prophet and his caliphs did not demolish them, but on the contrary they respected them, that the Quran states, If Allah had not dispelled some people by means of others, monasteries, churches, synagogues and mosques wherein Allah's name is mentioned very much would have been annihilated by now. Surah Hajj, Ayat 40 that Islam respects temples, that it does not demolish them, and that it prevents those who would otherwise demolish them. 7. Confuse Muslims about the Hadiths, deport the Jews from the Arabic Peninsula, and two religions cannot coexist on the Arabic Peninsula. Say that if these two Hadiths were true, the Prophet would not have had a Jewish wife and a Christian one, nor would he have made an agreement with the Najran Christians. 8. Try to hamper Muslims in their worships and make them falter about the usefulness of worships by saying that Allah does not need men's worships. Footnote. Worships are performed because Allah has commanded them. Yes, Allah does not need his human creatures' worships, yet the human creatures themselves need to worship. These people, Christians, go to church in crowds. On the other hand, they prevent Muslims from going to mosques. Prevent them from their worship of Hajj as well as from any sort of worship that will bring them together. Likewise, try to obstruct construction of mosques, shrines and madrasas and the restoration of Kaaba. 9. Mystify them about the rule that one-fifth of the Ghanima spoils of war taken from the enemy in combat is to be given to the ulama. Muslim scholars who are recognized as having specialist knowledge of Islamic sacred law and theology, and explain that this one-fifth belongs to the Ghanima property taken from war, and that it has nothing to do with commercial earnings. Then add that humus, one-fifth of the above-mentioned, is to be given to the Prophet or to the Caliph, not to the Ulama. Since the Ulama would use it to purchase themselves houses, palaces, animals and orchards. Therefore, it is not permissible to give them the humus. 10. Insert heresies into Muslims' tenets, and then accuse Islam for being a religion of terror. Assert that Muslim countries are retrogressive and that they have undergone traumatic shocks, thus impairing their adherence to Islam. On the contrary, Muslims established the greatest and the most civilized empires of the world. They declined as their adherence to Islam deteriorated. 11. Very important. Alienate children from their fathers, thus depriving them of their elders' education. We shall educate them. Consequently, the moment children have parted from their fathers' education, there will no longer be any possibility for them to maintain contact with their belief, faith or religious scholars. 12. Provoke the womenfolk to get rid of their traditional covers, saying that Covering is not a genuine Islamic commandment. It is a tradition established in the time of the Abbasids. Formerly, other people would see the Prophet's wives and women would join all sorts of social activities. 
after stripping the woman of her traditional cover, tempt the youth towards her and cause indecencies between them. This is a very effective method for annihilating Islam. First use non-Muslim women for this purpose. In the course of time, the Muslim woman will automatically degenerate and will begin to follow their example. Footnote Before the revelation of the Ayat of Hijab, veiling, women would not cover themselves. They would come to the Messenger of Allah, ask him questions and learn from him what they did not know. Whenever the Messenger of Allah visited one of them in her home, other women would go there too, sitting, listening and learning. Six years after the Surah Hijrat Nur was revealed to prohibit women from sitting or talking with men other than spouse or other close relatives. From then on, the Messenger of Allah commanded women to learn what they did not know by asking his blessed wives. These disbelievers are misleading Muslims by withholding the fact that women covered themselves after the revelation of the Ayat of Hijab. Um in Salama Radi Allahu Ta'ala Anhuna, blessed wife of Rasulullah, narrates, Maimuna, Radi Aluha Ta'ala Anhuna, another wife of Rasulullah, Ta'alahu Allahi wa Salam, and I were with the Messenger of Allah, Ta'alahu Allahi wa Salam, when Ibn Ummi Maktum, Rahi Allahu Ankh, asked for permission and entered. When a messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wa sallam, saw him, he said to us, Withdraw behind the curtain. When I said, Isn't he blind? He won't see us. The messenger of Allah answered, Are you blind too? Don't you see him? That is, he meant, He may be blind, but you aren't. This hadith sharif was quoted by Imam Ahmad and Timazi and Abu Dawud. Rahimahum ulahi ta'ala. According to this Hadith Sharif, as it is haram for a man to look at a woman who is not his spouse or a close relative, so it is haram for a woman to look at a man who is not her spouse or a close relative. Our Madhab Imams took other Hadith Sharifs into consideration as well and said that it is haram for a woman to look at a non-Mahram man's awart, private parts. It is easy to do this. These easy commandments and prohibitions are called Bukhsat. Permission, the easy way in carrying out a fard or avoiding haram. It is azimat, the more meritorious and difficult way in carrying out commandments for a woman not to look at a non-mahram man's head and hair. A man's awrat part for a woman, the part which is forbidden for a woman to look at, is between his knee and navel. And obeying this rule only without paying attention to azimat is called ruhsat. As is seen, the Azwaj Itahriyat, the pure wives of the Messenger of Allah, Radi Allahu Tala and Hunna, and the Ashab Ikiram, Rahi Allahu Anhum, would always act on the Azamat and they would refrain from the Ruksat. The Zindiks, believers pretending to be Muslims who tried to destroy Islam from within, put forward the fact that women did not cover themselves before the revelation of the Ayat of Hijab and said that women did not cover themselves in the Prophet's time. Women's veiling themselves like ogres, practice which is so common today, did not exist at that time. Hadrad Aisha, for one, would go out bareheaded. 
Today's practice of veiling was invented by the bigoted men of Fich afterwards. The Hadith Sharifs quoted above show clearly that these statements of theirs are lies and slanders. The four right madhabs, which are the explanations of the commandments and prohibitions of Allahu Ta'ala, give different accounts pertaining to men's awrat parts, that is, parts of their body which are forbidden for others to look at or for them to show to others. It is far for every man to cover those parts of his body which the madhab he is in prescribes to be haram. It is haram to look at someone else's parts of awrat. The following hadith sharifs are written in the book Eshi'at ul-Lemi'at. Let men and women not look at the awrat parts of people of their own sex. In Hanafi Madhab, a man's parts of awrat for other men are the same as those of a woman for other women, the area between the knees and the navel. A woman's parts of awrat for men, non-mahram to her, on the other hand, are all her body with the exception of the hands and face. Any member of the opposite sex who is not one of a person's close relatives called mahram is called non-mahram. Islam names one's mahram relatives. They are 18. A woman's hair is within her parts of awrat. It is haram to look at someone else's parts of awrat even without any feeling of lust. If you see a woman, turn your face away from her. Although it is not sinful to see one unexpectedly, it is sinful to look at her again. O Ali, do not open your thigh, do not look at someone else's thigh, be it a corpse or a person who is alive. May Allah curse those who open their parts and those who look at them. A person who makes himself like a community will become one of them. This hadith sharif shows that a person who adapts himself to enemies of Islam in ethics, behavior, or styles of dressing will become one of them. Those who adapt themselves to disbelievers' wicked fashions, who name haram fine arts, and who call people who commit haram artists, should take this hadith sharif as a warning. It is written as follows in Kimya Isadat, Imam Al Ghazi's book, Alchemy of Happiness. It is haram for women and girls to go out without covering their heads, hair, arms and legs, or in thin, ornamented, tight, perfumed dresses. If a woman's parents, husband or brothers condone her going out in this manner, they will share her sin and the torment they will burn together for this sin in the hereafter. If they make tawba, they will be pardoned. Allah Ta'ala likes those who make tawba. 13. Exploit every opportunity to put an end to performing Salat in Jamaa by casting aspersions on the Imams in mosques, by revealing their mistakes, and by sowing discord and adversity between them and those Muslims who perform their daily prayers of Salat behind them. 14. Say that all shrines must be demolished to the ground, that they did not exist in the Prophet's time. In addition, deter Muslims from visiting the graves of prophets, caliphs and pious Muslims by raising doubts about visiting graves. For instance, say, the prophet was buried beside his mother and Abu Bakr and Umar were buried in a cemetery called Baki. Uthman's grave is unknown. Hussein's head was buried at a place called Hanana. It is not known where his body was buried. The graves in Kazimiyya belong to two caliphs. 
they do not belong to Qasim and Dawad, two descendants of the Prophet. As to the one in Tus city, that grave belongs to Harun, not to Riza, member of the Ahibayt, the Prophet's family. Graves in Samara belong to the Abbasids. They do not belong to Hadi. Askari and Mahdi, members of the Al-Hibayt. As it is far to demolish all the shrines and domes in Muslim countries, so it is a must to bulldoze the cemetery called Baki. 15. Make people feel sceptical about the fact that Sayyids are the Prophet's descendants. Mix Sayyids with other people by making non-Sayyids wear black and green turbans. Thus people will be perplexed in this matter and will consequently begin to distrust Sayyids. Strip religious authorities and Sayyids of their turbans so that the prophetic pedigree will be lost and religious authorities will not be respected anymore. Footnote Said Abdul Hakim Awasi, Ramatullahi Alai, a great scholar, states in the book Ashab il Kiram, which he wrote in Istanbul. Hasrat Fatima, the blessed daughter of the Messenger of Allah, and all her offspring till the end of the world are members of the Al Ibayt. It is necessary to love them even if they are disobedient Muslims. Loving them, helping them with one's heart, body, and or property, respecting them and observing their rights will cause one to die as a believer. There was a law court allotted for Sayyids in Hama, a city in Syria. In the time of the Abbasid Caliphs in Egypt, the descendants of Hassan, Radi Allahu Ankh, were named Sheriff, and it was decided that they were to wear white turbans. And Hussein's Radi Allahu Ankh sons were named Sayyid, who were to wear green turbans. Children born from these two families were registered in the presence of a judge and two witnesses. During the reign of Sultan Abdul Majid Khan, Ramatullahi Alai, Rashid Pasha, the Masonic vizier, cancelled these law courts under the directions of his British bosses. People without any known genealogical origin or religious madhab began to be called Syed. Bogus Iranian Syed spread far and wide. It is stated in Fatwa-e-Hadithiya, in the early days of Islam, anyone who was a descendant of the Al-Ibayt was called Sheriff, that is, Sheriff Abbasi, Sheriff Zainali. Fatima rulers were Shiite. They called only descendants of Hassan and Hussein Sheriff. Ashraf Shaban bin Hussein, one of the Tukuman rulers in Egypt, commanded that Sayyids should wear green turbans so that they be distinguished from sheriffs. These traditions spread widely, though they do not have any value from the Islamic point of view. There is detailed information on this subject in Mirati Kanite and in the Turkish version of Mawahibi Ledunia and in the third chapter of the seventh section of the commentary called Zakani. 16. Say that it is far to demolish the places where Shiites mourn, but this practice is a heresy and aberration. People should be prevented from visiting those places. The number of imams should be decreased and taxes should be levied on imams and owners of the places for mourning. 17. Under the pretext of love of freedom, convince all Muslims that everyone is free to do whatever he likes. 
It is not far to perform Amr bin Maruf and Nahil Anil Munkar or to teach the Islamic principles. On the contrary, it is far to learn and teach Islam. It is a Muslim's first duty. In addition, imbue them with this conviction. Christians are to remain in their own faith, Christianity, and Jews are to abide by theirs, Judaism. No one will enter another person's heart. Amr bin Maruf and Nahid Anil Munkar are the Caliph's duties. 18. In order to impede Muslims from increasing in number, births must be limited and polygamy must be prohibited. Marriage must be subjected to restrictions. For instance, it must be said that an Arab cannot marry an Iranian, an Iranian cannot marry an Arab, a Turk cannot marry an Arab. 19. Make sure to stop Islamic propagations and conversions to Islam. Broadcast the conception that Islam is a religion peculiar to the Arabs only. As an evidence for this, put forward the verse of the Quran which reads, This is a dhikr, remembering Allah for you and your people. 20. Pious institutions must be restricted and confined to the state monopoly, to the extent that individuals must be unable to establish madrasas or other similar charitable organizations. 21. Arouse doubts as to the authenticity of the Quran in Muslims' minds. Publish translations of the Quran containing excisions, additions, interpolations, and then say, The Quran has been defiled. Its copies are incongruous. A verse one of them contains does not exist in another. Excise the verses insulting Jews, Christians, and all other non-Muslims, and those commanding jihad, Amr bin Maruf and Nahi al-Munkar. Footnote. These British contrivances came to naught. Allahu Ta'ala has been protecting Quran al-Karim from interpolation. He did not promise also that he would protect the Injil, the heavenly book revealed to Hazrat Isa. It is for this reason that false books in the name of Bible were written. Even these books were changed in the course of time. The first interpolation in them was made by a Jewish convert named Paul. The greatest of the changes that were made in every century was the one constituted by the 318 priests who convened in Nicaea in 325 upon the order of Constantine, the first Roman emperor in Istanbul. In 1524-931, Martin Luther, a German priest, established the Protestant sect. Christians who followed the Pope in Rome were called Catholics. The massacres of St. Bartholomew in Scotland, the catastrophic mass killings after the tribunals called Inquisition, are recorded in Christian history as well. In 1054-446, Michael Kirillarius, Patriarch of Istanbul, dissented from the Pope and established the Orthodox Church. The Syrian monophysite sect was founded by Jacobus, Baradeus, who died in 571. The Syrian Maronite sect by Maro, who died in 405, 
and Jehovah's Witnesses by Charles Russell in 1872. Translate the Quran into other languages such as Turkish, Persian, Indian, thus to prevent Arabic from being learned and read outside Arabic countries, and again prevent the Azan, call to prayer, Salat, ritual prayer, and Dua, invocation, from being done in Arabic outside of Arabic countries. Likewise, Muslims will be made to feel doubts about hadiths. Translations, criticisms, and interpolations planned for the Quran should be applied to hadiths as well. When I read through the book, which was entitled, How Can We Demolish Islam?, I found it really excellent. It was a peerless guide for the studies I was going to carry on. When I returned the book to the secretary and told him that it afforded me great pleasure to read it, he said, You can be sure that you are not alone in this field. We have lots of men doing the same job as you have been carrying on. Our ministry has assigned over 5,000 men to this mission. The ministry is considering increasing this number to 100,000. When we reach this number, we shall have brought all Muslims under our sway and obtained all Muslim countries. Sometime later, the secretary said, Good news to you. Our ministry needs one century at the most to realize this program. We may not live to see those happy days, but our children will. What a beautiful saying this is. I have eaten what others sowed, so I am sowing for others. When the British manage this, they will have pleased the entire Christendom and will have rescued them from a 12th century old nuisance. The secretary went on as follows. The crusading expeditions which continued for centuries were of no use, nor can the Mongols, armies of Genghis, be said to have done anything to extirpate Islam. But their work was sudden, unsystematic and ungrounded. They carried on military expeditions so as to reveal their enmity. Consequently, they became tired in a short time. But now our valuable administrators are trying to demolish Islam by means of a very subtle plan and a long-range patience. We must use military force too. Yet this should be the final phase, that is, after we have completely consumed Islam, after we have hammered it from all directions and rendered it into a miserable state from which it will never recover again and fight against us. The secretary's final words were these. Our superiors in Istanbul must have been very wise and intelligent. They executed our plan precisely. What did they do? They mixed with the Mohammedans and opened madrasas for their children. They built churches. They were completely successful in popularizing alcoholic spirits, gambling, indecencies, and breaking them into groups by means of instigation and football clubs. They aroused doubts in the minds of young Muslims. They inserted controversies and oppositions into their governments. They spread mischief everywhere. They depraved administrators, directors and statesmen by filling their houses with Christian women. 
that activities of this sort they broke their forces, undermined their adherence to their faith, corrupted them morally, and disrupted their unity and communication. Now the time has come to commence a sudden war and extirpate Islam. Footnote. The British applied the 21-article destruction plan which they had prepared in order to annihilate Islam to the two great Islamic empires, Indian and Ottoman. They established heretical Islamic groups such as Wahhabi, Qadiyani, Tablik Jamaa and Jamaa Islamia in India. Then the British army easily invaded India and destroyed the entire Islamic state. They imprisoned the Sultan and butchered his two sons. Extremely valuable articles and the choicest treasures that had been preserved throughout centuries were plundered and shipped to London. They stole the precious stones such as diamonds, emeralds and rubies, ornamenting the walls of the shrine called Taj Mahal, which the Indian Sultan Shah Jihan had built in 1631-1041 over the grave of his wife Ejimand Begum in Agra, plastering the walls of the shrine with mud. Today these plasters shout out the British savagery to the whole world. And the British are still spending this stolen wealth on the annihilation of Islam. As is expressed by a Muslim poet, If the cruel have oppression, the oppressed have Allah with them. The divine justice rose and they had their deserts in the Second World War. Fearing that the Germans might invade Britain, most of the wealthy British clergymen, households of statesmen and ministers, and tens of thousands of enemies of Islam boarded ships and were on their way to America, when the magnetic mines released from the two German warships of Graf's von Zwie and two similar ships caught and sank their ships. They all drowned in the Atlantic Ocean. After the war, upon a decision taken by the Center of United Nations Human Rights in New York, they receded from their colonies all over the world. They lost most of their sources of income which the Ministry of the Commonwealth had been exploiting for centuries. They were confined to the island called Great Britain. Food and consumer goods were rationed. I remember the chief of Turkish general staff, General Salih Umurtag, saying at a dinner party in 1948, In London, an official guest as I was, I always left the meal table without being fully fed. In Italy, on my way back, I filled myself by eating plenty of spaghetti. This I am quoting because I was seated opposite the general at the dinner table, and I heard exactly what he said. His words are still echoing in my ears. Tanaullah Dalhlawi Ramutu Ali Alayi Invocation Wishing Peace Be Upon Notable Wellness makes the following observation in his explanation of the 82nd Ayat Karima or Surah Maida. Muhi is Sunnah Hussein Beghawi stated that not all Christians are mushrik, those who attribute a partner or partners to Allahu Ta'ala, that is, shirk. Mushrik means to deify something, that is, to worship it. Mushriks, like Jews, bear bitter enmity towards Muslims. They kill Muslims, devastating their homelands and demolishing their mosques.
They burn copies of Quran al-Karim. Imam Rabani, Ramatu Ali Alehi, states in the third letter, the third volume of his Mektubat, a person who worships any being other than Allah Ta'ala is called a mushrik. A person who has not adapted himself to a prophet Akram Islamiya is a mushrik. Christians all over the world today deny Muhammad, Allahi Salam, and are therefore disbelievers. Most of them are mushrik because they say that Isa, Allahi Salam, is a god or that he is one of the three gods. Some of them who profess that Jesus is a human creature and a prophet of God are Ah and Kitab, people of the book. All these people maintain an inimical attitude towards Islam and Muslims. Air attacks were administered by the British. We have been informed in 1992-1412 that the Christians recently concocted 10 questions and distributed them in Muslim countries. Islamic scholars in Bangladesh, by preparing answers to these questions, disgraced the Christian priests. Hakikat Publishers in Istanbul distributes these answers throughout the world under the title of El Akazim ul Jidide Tul Christiania in the book Esirat ul Mustakim.